Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Valentine of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health. Which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. I got out of my house today. I went to the coffee shop and I looked at the lady behind the counter and I said, you are my first human interaction outside of my family in five days. <laughs> um, that's a thing. Congratulations. Yes. So successfully leaving your house. For those people um, who uh, don't know, the area in which I live was the eye of the storm for I believe technically called Winter Storm Jonas, but uh, deemed in the tri-state area by the Capital Weather Gang, (laughs) which is like the news forecasters in this area, as Snowzilla. Anyway, uh, we were delivered a lovely 30 plus inches of snow, which in my entire life, I don't think we've ever gotten that much snow here. Maybe when I was like eight years old, we got a lot of snow and I remember making igloos, but I don't even think it was that much. 2010 was the last time we got even like a significant amount of snow and that was 18 inches. So kind of a big deal, but it was super awesome and fun. We were totally prepared. We had a lot of food in the house. We kept electricity the whole time. We made so many recipes for the blog. We played so many board games. The kids went out during the blizzard and sat in the hot tub because they're hardcore. We just had a lot of fun. How you doing? We we got a half inch of snow on I Saturday. Saw, I saw you guys and it was so cute. I was and like And it was oh. like the most exciting thing that has ever happened to my kids ever in their entire lives. Uh they were both talking about being the best day ever. They called it a snow day even though it was Saturday. It it became snow day. And they ran around singing, do you want to build a snowman, even though there wasn't enough snow to build a snowman. And they went outside. We like and you can't in Atlanta, you can't even buy proper winter clothing like it's it's just not even a thing here. So they were wearing between three and five layers at any given time. And we just kept like swapping out like new dry gloves because they would their hands were getting so cold. I mean, it was. I think it was 11 with the wind chill. So that's 11 Fahrenheit for our international listeners and the rest of the world that doesn't use Fahrenheit. Um, and I have lost the ability to convert that into Celsius. I used to be able to do that. And now I just know it's it's really cold. It's what, like minus 10 or something. Um, so, so it was cold. Um, but they played outside for like an hour and a half straight. 
uh, with with the girl next door, and they just uh, destroyed all the snow by traipsing over every single square inch of it. And they had they had such crazy fun. And I was trying to explain to them like things like snowshoes and snowmobiles and things that they could play with if we had more than half inch of snow. And they were like, "No, this is good," because it was gone by Sunday afternoon. Um, and, uh, that's, that's the way I like it. We totally could have gone somewhere if we'd wanted to, but we just didn't. We put a fire in the fireplace and made some paleo hot cocoa and put in little marshmallows. And it was, it was a good day. We played board games. (laughs) But you had, we had one day like that, like we just, just one day. And then by Sunday we're like, normal life, let's get out of the house. Let's go do some shopping, whatever. And you had how many days? Um, four straight. I had four straight today was the kids fifth. Yeah. And then their school is also closed tomorrow at the very least. Some other counties are closed for the rest of the week, which is three more days. So, um, like where, so like, I mean, I guess there's not so much snow, like there's nowhere to put it. Yeah. That's the problem specifically for the schools is the sidewalks and the parking lots have to be cleared to ensure that it's safe for kids to walk to school or, you know, all that kind of buses can come in, you know, even if neighborhoods are clear and right now neighborhoods are not clear. There's so much snow that there's a lot of traffic issues because there's one lane where there's usually two or the off ramps aren't cleared or, you know, it's really the snow snow is so high it's like over 10 feet in a lot of roads because they've piled it up in the corner so you can't when you're trying to make a turn you can't see what's coming you know there's a lot of safety issues that regions that get a lot of snow regularly probably are like what's wrong with you people (laughs) Um, but considering we've never had this it's not something like you we're not prepared with a lot of gear and stuff we get snow but we don't get snow like this you know so um, I I I don't know the last statistics I heard was that there was like two snowplows for like all of Atlanta. And <laughs> I mean, I think I don't. Th- I mean, I think there's some brine trucks, um, but like now, granted, now just in Atlanta defense, and also like Pacific Northwest and places where um, I've lived, many places that get this type of winter where we, where snow is a couple of inches, since it's always close to freezing. There means there's always a layer of ice. So we had snow and ice, which made the roads very slippery and lots of people lost power. And depending on where you were, there was a lot of ice. And um, places with that that snow that fall that's really close to freezing temperatures, that's a completely different situation to drive in. That that it's impossible to drive in. It turns the roads into a skating rink. So in the defense of all climates in which snow is an exciting, infrequent occurrence. We do have very different snow because I've lived in like the real winter places before. And when it's colder, it is it, that snow has a lot more traction. And it is also very fun. I, so, I would love to have it for like two days. I should just I should just like hop on a plane and go somewhere. Except that I'd not, I wouldn't be able to get there because of all the flight delays. Because the plane, yeah. Arg. So let me talk about my favorite thing about being snowed in, which is that I've been doing daily handstands, what I'm calling handstand month with Finn, which first of all, I may or may not have seen some of this on Instagram, right? It's happening on the, on the grams of Insta. I may or may not have felt incredibly inadequate. (laughs) I hardly doubt that. I saw, because I can't do a handstand by my, like I can't, I can't, I granted I haven't, I should try again. 
because it's been a while since I've tried, but I can't get into a handstand. And part of it is completely mental. I yeah, you are totally down. strong enough to do a handstand. It is mental. So I um, suggested to my coach, based on seeing your handstands on Instagram, that we work on them. <laughs> we have not yet gotten to them because I've been doing all, all the wall balls. And a lot of, because it's like the open's coming in a month, right? So yeah. it's like, here's all the things I'm pretty close to being able to do that I now want to figure out how to do in a month. <laughs> Double unders, toes to bar. Uh, that's all the hand, right? Handstand pushups. It's all the like the body weight stuff. I mean, I, I don't think I have a hope in uh, a dark worm place of being able to do pull-ups by then. But um, But I think those other motions like, I could, you know, I'm not that far away from being able to do a proper toaster bar and I can do double unders, but I just can't string them together. So I can do like a pretty long pattern of double, single, single, double, single, single. So there's, there's some stuff happening. Um, but yeah, you know, today I got to do, uh, my wall ball challenge. Did I tell you about that last fall? Yeah, we don't yeah, talk yeah. About no, I knew about it last fall and I knew that you were, you were going to bring it back, but yeah, we brought it back today. So we almost never talk about working out on the show anymore because of strong women radio takes, takes away all your, your weight lifting, working out ammo away from the paleo view. But, um, the, the wall ball challenge that I've been doing, um, I did it last fall and it was basically, it's like a, it was developed by Glassman and it's, it's his assertion that wall balls are the most metabolically demanding move that's done in CrossFit so that it, it just requires every single muscle and your uh, cardiovascular system is, is an overdrive. And certainly they feel that way to me uh, from a completely like qualitative personal experience level. Um, so this challenge was uh, do 150 wall balls in under six minutes. And what you do is you, you do this once a week building up in the weight of your wall balls until you fail to get 150 at that weight wall ball two weeks in a row. So for every weight wall ball, you have two attempts. And then when you fail at a weight, you then get to do weekly wall ball workouts with that weight wall ball for three months and start over. So I did this in the fall, started with eight pounds because that was the lightest wall ball my um, gym has. Then went up to 10 pounds, then did 12 pounds and failed my two consecutive weeks with the 12 pound wall ball. So I do wall ball workouts every single week. Uh, they are sometimes okay, and they are sometimes really not my favorite. And so today I did my, like, okay, we're getting back into now. i got to try and do 150 wall balls with this 12-pound wall ball. So I got to 144, and I cursed extremely loudly afterwards. Yeah, that would be frustrating. Because I was so close. And I was like, if I had just, like not dropped the ball one time to shake up my arms one, like one time or two times. Like if I had just kept going, if I had done, you know, a couple more sets of 12 instead of sets of 10, like just, just that little. But that's what CrossFit is all about is learning like where that line for yourself is, where it's mental push versus like what you're physically able to do. That's at least what I felt like, especially the body weight movements and stuff in CrossFit was like, you don't want to, and you think you need to stop, but you just keep going. And I think like any strength sport is, you know, it's oftentimes more mental than anything else. So that's a really good lesson for you is next time 
you won't do those things because you'll be like, I'm not going to fail again. Or I don't want to say it's a failure, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to miss. It certainly felt pretty physical. (laughs) um, But yeah, I mean, being that close, I feel quite confident that I'll make it next week in part because it's exactly that sort of determination of don't drop it. And if you look back at like when I did the eight pound ball, the 10 pound ball, eight and 10, both of the time, both of those weights, I failed the first attempt and got at the second attempt. And then when I did the 12 pound ball, I could do like 111 the first week. And I think I did 116 the next week. Like it wasn't, there was no jump. There was no like, and I'm close. It wasn't close. Um, it was torture. Um, and so even to go from like 116 to 144 is like a pretty major improvement. So, um, so I also need to keep that in mind, but I really want to get to being able to do some workouts with the 14 pound ball leading into the open, because that's typical RX weight for women. Although I've heard all these rumors that that's going to be the scaled weight this year and everything's going to be topsy turvy. And I just will wait and find out what Castro has in store for us. But you know, what's really cool. I feel like I can speak this whole new language that's like the CrossFit language. And I remember when you started CrossFit and then and then migrated into Strongman feeling like, I really wish I could understand what you were saying. <laughs> well, so okay. I'll keep it more basic in that I was super excited because, well, I'm, first of all, happy. And um, I don't know if like honored is the right word that you are inspired to do inversion because of my handstand. You can, you can be honored. You can be honored by that. That's okay. Um, but for me, because this is the first time I've been able to do yeah, anything physical in six months. Really doing stuff again. Yeah. Um, I intentionally chose something that was going to be a strength builder, but that would not be hard on my body. And I talked with Viv about like trying to find a yoga studio and stuff and, um, there are some movements that my body and my back, you know, it's not ideal for the injury that I had to be doing those particular movements. So rather than having to like scale, um, and do all that kind of stuff, because I have my third treatment this week, actually. And then after that, I should hopefully be cleared, um, kind of entirely to get back into things. I thought that an inversion month would be really good because inversion's good, uh, for back injury from some of the stuff that I was reading. Um, And so I set a goal for myself of what I wanted by the end of the month. And it's the end of week one, and I've achieved both of those goals. So that's super crazy, awesome, and amazing. I've had a lot of people come in and ask me to give like a tutorial and teach them how to do the things that I'm doing. And frankly, I'm not qualified for that. We have been periscoping some of the sessions, and I've been answering specific questions. And I've been. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, it's happened. Finn is addicted you've, to Periscope. You've been Periscoping. <laughs> I will clarify that this Finn Periscope. This is bigger news. Yeah. Than... Finn, Finn and Viv Periscope on my account. That's that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> I don't know anything about Periscoping. I'm terrible at it. This will not be like a thing that is great and that like you will be addicted to. It is literally just... Finn and I in the garage giggling upside down. And so um, people have been able to participate live and ask questions and I can demonstrate certain things. So if you have been following along on Instagram and you're really inspired and you can't figure out how to do it, 
maybe follow us on Periscope so that the next time it goes live, you can join and ask questions. Um, but I'm not comfortable giving anyone a sort of like tutorial on the blog or a long video on YouTube or something like that, because I'm just not an expert. So maybe we'll try to find like a yoga expert for strong wind radio and interview them and they can tell you, but I've just been trying to post my tips and tricks on Instagram and that's all I got. But it's obviously working because I met my goals and I was like, I hit my, um, my parallel to the ground pike today, like a 90 degree angle, which I said was my like huge goal for the end of the month. And Matt was, I was inverted and Matt came into the garage. He was like, oh my gosh, you're at 90 degrees. I was like, what? We weren't even like filming or anything. So then I had to do it again to get it on video. It was super awesome and amazing. But uh, yeah, okay. Maybe we should have a show. But I just, I just wanted to share my joy because I feel like I've been a Debbie Downer for a little while. (laughs) So my back is feeling better. I mean, I think you've been very understandably, incredibly frustrated with losing the thing that holds you together, right? Like losing that thing that you found that you completely resonated with that, you know, was your, your pure joy, the thing that you're fantastically good at, right? Like, you know, for you, you know, strong woman training is, is huge. I would say it's, it's not just part of your life, it's part of you. And so I think being frustrated with not being able to do that is more than understandable. And I think that, um, I think that it's would it would be petty of me or anyone else to be like, well, Stacy's always, you know, grumpy pants lately. Like that. I mean, you know, I was like, wow, Stacy's really frustrated. Understandably, I would be too. Like, it's a different, it's a different sentiment. So I'm happy. I'm happy to hear the bubbles in your voice. All kinds of bubbles and. Last but not least, so many new recipes coming out on the blog because I'm also uh, all kinds of inspired across the board now that I'm feeling better. You were, you're stuck at home and yeah, cook, cook <laughs> exactly. Food. We're like, what should we do? We should just cook food and take pictures of it for five days. Yeah. And I sent you a picture of one of the ones that's like an AIP recipe coming out. Um, and- I, I may or may not have felt like, so I've felt this before. So I don't think people realize, I mean, they probably do now because they listen to our intro in which you talked about the snow in the DC area. And I talked about the snow in the Atlanta area, but we do not live close together. We podcasted for what, like almost a year before we even met in person. Um, we get to hang out like once a year, if we're lucky twice a year. Um, and we always have an amazing time together, but I was like one of those things like, like, dang, if we were just closer together, this would be so a get into my car and drive over and eat your food moment. Granted, yeah, except might, you couldn't have the driven. road might not be safe. <laughs> there was that whole extra aspect. I would have hopped on my snowmobile. There you go. And snowmobiled over. It, it would have been worth it. I well, and clearly snowmobiling looks like a lot of fun. So right. there's that. You, um, you would have had a lot of friends in the area if you had a snowmobile because I heard that Ubers were charging $100 just to come to your house. And then, like, then it was how far do you want to go? It was a it was a situation. Well, I mean, supply and demand. Yep. Yep. It's a thing. So that's just for listeners. If you like recipes, 
you should follow there's, the blog. There's many, there's many coming. And this is just a reminder, too, to sign up for both Sarah and I's newsletters, because when we do things like events and people follow up with you and they're like, oh, I wish you would have known that you were here, or, you know, when there's new recipes or when things happen, our newsletter is the place where we always give that information and it comes direct to you to your inbox and you don't have to count on Mark Zuckerberg filtering it out or waiting a week to hear about it on the podcast, that kind of stuff. So we will put a link in the show notes, but if you haven't already, signing up for our newsletter is a fantastic idea. I happen to enjoy both of our newsletters. I, I, not that I'm biased at all. Yeah, no. Uh, newsletters are the best place to not miss things like book events. Hey, by the way, speaking of book events, um, if you live in Austin or Houston, I'm there right now. (laughs) So, uh, and I can say that because this will go live Thursday for subscribers and Friday for everyone else. And I am doing a book signing, um, at a place that I, uh, at the moment, I'm not entirely sure of because I should have reviewed that, but I didn't. Uh, but I am doing a book signing in Austin uh, Friday evening and in Houston Saturday afternoon. You can get more information by going to my website, thepaleomom.com. Uh, there's a big banner at the top. You can click on that or you can go to thepaleomom.com forward slash events or sign up for my newsletter so that you don't miss those things. Um, there's nothing more frustrating for us as authors when we especially you I do very limited traveling because it's just so hard on me physically I I still feel like I'm recovering from my trip to Phoenix and Vegas um Phoenix and Vegas a week and a half ago and um and so it's it's frustrating for me when I try to spread the word that I'm coming on every channel that I have available to me and then I get um I get this like, oh, I'm I'm so sad I missed you. Like, I didn't know you were here. And, and all these people are really upset that they they missed an event. Um, and I and I'm like, I there's I did everything that I could. Um, and so the best way is to is to subscribe to our newsletters because you don't miss out on things like that. There's all kinds of great coupons, sales. There's there's a lot less missing out with newsletters. Is what I'm saying. Truth. Maybe we should do a show. <laughs> let's, do, let's do let's do a show. Next segment is Science with Sarah, where I take a moment to explain the details and the whys. We have actually, I think, a really great topic. So um, it is the season. Um, you know, people are uh, who have decided to do paleo as a New Year's resolution um, are hitting right around that period of time where they're like, "Man, this is awesome." I want to keep doing this. And it's one of the things that I feel really separates paleo from all other diets. It, it, it becomes, um, it, it becomes such a, um, it's such a lifestyle thing. Like it, it's, it becomes not just a diet that you do to lose 10 pounds, but it becomes like something that we commit to for the rest of our lives. And we hit this point where we're like, okay, A, it's not that hard. Uh, B, food food is still really great. And C, I'm seeing all these great results. And for most people, that tends to click right around three to four weeks. So like right around 
the end of January, when everyone else is, you know, running out of steam on their news resolutions and their gym memberships are starting to gather dust, um, when people are tackling paleo, this tends to be right around the time that it's like the magic happens and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing anything else. And so we've kind of been doing some more New Year's Eve thematic shows the last little while. And I thought it would be really good to touch on a topic. We've got actually a lot of questions on this topic, but how do we talk about paleo? And I think this is especially relevant for people who are kind of new to the community um, and they're kind of new to that excitement. Um, you know, for me, when I uh, when I first went on paleo, I went off of all six prescription medications that I was on at the time within two weeks of switching my diet. I lost weight. I had more energy. My skin improved. Um, my migraine headaches went away. My moods were amazing. My sleep was great. Like it just felt like, aha, here was all the answers that I've been looking for for my health for decades. Like it, it just made, it made, it made everything just fall together perfectly. And, um, I desperately wanted um, to be able to share that information. And so at first, I was sharing that information with whatever poor random stranger I would encounter in my daily life. And that became not the most appropriate uh, venue because those aren't people who are looking for information on why the bagel they ate that morning will kill them. Like I, I was really enthusiastic. I was quite, I was zealous. And that for me was why I started a blog because I needed an outlet for all of my enthusiasm and all the geeky stuff that I was learning. But starting a blog is not necessarily a practical, um, practical way to handle that enthusiasm for most people. And so it's, Really good, I think, especially from, you know, Stacy and I have been doing this for four and a half years and coming up on six years for Stacy. And uh, over that time, I think one of the major things that we've both learned how to do is how to talk about our diets and our lifestyle choices. And so given that um, conversations are bound to be happening everywhere right now, we thought this would be a good, a good topic to tackle. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. I also want to clarify because they did get a few comments and questions about a similar but different topic that we discussed in our podcast, Missing the Point, that I want to be very clear that I am neither judging people nor telling them what they should or should not eat. For me in particular, I want to clarify what foods are quote-unquote paleo approved foods versus foods that we myself included eat and what you know what foods can help lead to health versus what foods are treats that are for you know mental or social stability so i think that's good context as well for the topic of you know how we approach i mean i don't know how many times people say like, is that paleo? And I want to just answer, like, is your cell phone paleo? You know, like, it's that gets into this whole conversation of how to approach paleo. And, you know, I will tell you that that is not a positive and encouraging thing. I will encourage people to join the movement no. either. As frustrating as sometimes it is, um, 
it's also really hard to define a metric for that. So, you know, some people will will basically say it's paleo if our paleolithic ancestors, if cavemen had access and there's evidence that they ate something comparable. So it's paleo if, um, you know, they could have dug up a similar looking root, right? Or it's paleo if they could have hunted a similar animal. Um, and then you end up with these gray areas like alcohol. So, you know, cavemen weren't fermenting beverages. Uh, fermentation dates back, you know, earliest evidence was something like 6,000 years ago. However, um, there's a natural alcohol content to fruit as fruit is ripening. And as, um, it, and it's, it turns out our gene for alcohol dehydrogenase, which is the enzyme that our livers produce that helps to detoxify alcohol when we drink it, dates back in evolution about 2 million years. So it predates um, the earliest uh, humanoid primates. So it's, it's you know, basically going back to a much earlier mammal than we are. And it looks like it was actually a way for, um, and many mammals do this, they'll actually preferentially choose higher alcohol content fruit. Um, and it looks like it's a way for us to sense ripe fruit. So that's where it comes from. It's this, um, this pre preference for alcohol comes from being able to find ripe fruit because ripe fruit will have more sugars, it'll have more energy, it will have more vitamins and minerals um, typically. And it's also, I mean, typically tasty, but one of the reasons why it's tasty is because we've got such sugar-attuned and alcohol-attuned taste buds. So when you look at alcohol, you can say, well, we've actually had the ability to process it for longer than we've been human. And when you look at animals in the wild, there are actually many different species of animals, including some forms of primates, that uh, will wait for fruit to drop off the tree and start fermenting and like rotting. And then get stinking drunk on the fermented fruit. And I can tell you, the dog I had growing up used to do this. We had plum trees that lined our yard. And she would, you know, in the summer when the plum, they weren't plums that were good to eat. They were these plums that you would make like wine out of, but we never did when I was a kid. They would fall on the ground and they would ferment. And I would come home from school and the dog would be staggering in the yard, unable to walk in a straight line she was so drunk from eating these plums and so it, my dog was not the only dog that does this I'm pretty sure but there's like scientific papers that have evaluated this behavior in many different species and so when you look at is alcohol if you're going to answer the question is alcohol paleo you've got and you, and you want to take this like did cavemen consume it well they consumed alcohol from fruit. They probably seasonally were able to get drunk from fruit. Um, they certainly, we certainly have the, had the gene to detoxify and process alcohol for longer than we've been human. Um, but we haven't been brewing it and concentrating it. Um, we've, we've only been doing that since agriculture. So that becomes a much harder question to answer. And so from from my perspective, I want to look at contemporary science and say, like, how does that help us inform this this question? 
So when you look at scientific studies, moderate regular alcohol consumption reduces risks of some chronic illnesses and it increases risks of other chronic illnesses. Um, you know, red wine has some great antioxidants in it, but if it comes to things like Alzheimer's risk, um, that's actually related to um, alcohol. So um, moderate alcohol consumption not related to the antioxidants and alcohol lowers Alzheimer's risk. Now it increases risk of some cancers and some other bad stuff. Like it's not like, woohoo, now I can go out and drink, but it becomes another sort of gray area. So if we're going to say, okay, is alcohol paleo? I think the consensus in the community is occasional to moderate consumption of a non-gluten containing alcohol. So that's either a, um, a, uh, hard alcohol that's made with non-grains. Some people do fine with distilled grain alcohol because they're hypothetically gluten-free, although there's plenty of reports of celiacs not being able to do that, so I don't touch those. Um, alcohol or some, or not alcohol, wine or something like a cider as being like, okay, like we've got to, we've got to figure out how to, how to implement paleo not just within our modern food supply, which is a hundred percent different from what cavemen actually had access to, um, but we also have to figure out how to how to how to define this template within modern society and within the context of contemporary biology and physiology and what kind of insight we can glean. And that, frankly, means there's certain is it paleo questions that the answer is. Yeah, maybe, I guess, a little bit, try it. I, you know, it's not a firm yes or no. So uh, that was a lot of geeky science to say that the question, is it paleo, is not necessarily the best question to ask. I prefer to ask, is this food health promoting? And it's not, that's not the same question. And there's still not always hard and fast rules about whether or not a, a, a food is health promoting. Um, I mean, you could say it's yes, no, or maybe not like a little bit. There's this, but there's this gray area in between. And I think that, um, I think that it's really important to understand that within this framework, there's a lot of room for individual experimentation and figuring out, what works for us as individuals. That was a whole, that was a science with Sarah. Yeah, it was. Uh, Matt, you can go back and put some, put some music in there <laughs> at a not, a, clearly there was not a good transition point. Sorry, Matt, do you want to do the music now, Matt? And then you could just, it's like the after music of the science with Sarah. Okay. See that, that worked. That worked. That was good. We can do questions now, right? Definitely. Questions and Answers, where we answer questions submitted by you through the contact form on our websites, paleomom.com and paleoparents.com. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Our first question is from Pam. I recently visited our local health food store and had a conversation with the owner about holiday baking. She was going to be making an apple pie with einkorn flour. She explained to me that this flour has only 12 chromosomes, which is a far cry from the mutated wheat we use now. She said that einkorn flour has a tiny amount of gluten. She claimed it was good to have some gluten from this type of flour, not mutated, not GMO, because we, in quotation marks, need it. She also believes that those of us following a 100% gluten-free diet 
will end up with health problems down the road resulting from the lack of specific nutrients, which she couldn't name, that were missing in our diets. Honestly, the health food store is the last place I would have thought I needed to defend my diet choices. What do you suggest I tell her next time I have the opportunity? Thanks for your help. Well, when I encounter this situation, I realize that I'm talking to someone who's not interested in hearing my information, and I just smile and say, okay, thanks, that's not for me. Um, I, in particular, say, well, I'm celiac, so no gluten is good for me, but that doesn't work for everybody. So for me, a lot of these types of conversations and the the whole topic of, um, you know, how do we phrase these responses to people are a lot about is someone genuinely interested and curious and not understanding, for example, the questions that we often get in media are, is dairy paleo? I thought you couldn't have that, right? And that's someone genuinely trying to understand because there are some people who consume dairy and some people who don't. Um, But then there are some instances where, you know, especially if someone is not able to specify what their concern is, but just saying, it's not good to remove a whole food group. Well, but what is it that you're concerned about? Is it the nutrients? Because I get all of my calcium and I have healthy bones from consumption of, you know, leafy green vegetables, almonds, and bone broth. Um, and then, well, well, you need fiber. I eat a lot of vegetables. I get plenty of fiber. I have great bowel movements. You know, so is the question someone's more being, you know, interested and curious and they want to learn, in which case you can talk about things like nutrients and, well, what is it that you you think this flower has that is needed? And if the answer is, well, I don't know, but you need it and you're going to have health problems, that's the point at which I realize someone's defending their own food choices and that they either feel guilty or defensive or that they need to put that upon you for some reason. And that's when I just pull back and and kind of the agree to disagree sort of approach where, okay, well, thank you. And, you know, walk away and move on. I agree that especially if you're making a purchase somewhere, like I would anticipate that someone would make you feel welcome to spend your money in their store. But um, maybe this person just feels really passionately about something that, you know, she loves I know that, um, Sarah, I don't know if you remember this, but way a long time ago when Jimmy Moore was pre-paleo, he was having a piece of Ezekiel bread every day. And that was like when he was still low carb, that was like the one carb he was eating. And like he had Rob Wolf on his podcast to talk about, well, but it still has gluten. Like, why don't you just not consume that and see how you feel for a while? Um, but I remember Jimmy feeling really passionately about that one piece of, of bread that he had. And that's how some of us feel. Like we all have that thing, you know, like when we all go paleo, there's all this like one thing. And it's oftentimes Diet Coke and cream and coffee and bread and pasta. Like those things just people feel really connected to. So, you know, it's it's just, I don't know. It's personal. It, it's really personal. Food choice is really personal. And people feel sometimes defensive about it. Yeah, I um I agree that it's it's often best in those types of situations, you know, especially if it's it's somebody that you casually interact with in your life. It's not, you know, not a friend, not not even uh a person you see regularly. Um 
I think that if Pam wants some good ammo for um for for engaging that conversation again, um I wrote a post actually quite a while ago called Gluten-Free Diets Can Be Healthy for Kids. And this was when uh Gwyneth Paltrow's cookbook came out that was entirely gluten-free. It was sort of pseudo-paleo. And that book got just hugely criticized in the media of, you know, the line was she is depriving her children's brains of vital nutrients. Um, And so I uh, wrote actually uh, like an op-ed piece for um, whattoexpect.com that really broke down, like, is a gluten-free diet an inherently nutrient-poor diet? Um, You know, what is missing from a gluten-free diet. And gluten is not a nutrient. That is absolutely incorrect. There is nothing in uh, grains, period, that we can't get more or better of in vegetables. And when you think about how, um, how certainly within the paleo community, how we eat is we replace the grains that used to be on our plate with vegetables. Like where it's, right, there used to be rice and now there's sweet potato. Or there used to be a side of pasta or a dinner roll, and now you know it's it's often starchy carbs. Um, or now there's an extra serving of uh, steamed broccoli and sautéed mushrooms, right? Like we tend to replace um, replace those foods with vegetables, and vegetables have you know between ten and a hundred times more of the essential vitamins um, and minerals. Um, the they tend to be um, much more skewed, so like the the amount more vitamins that vegetables have tends to be way more than the vitamin content of even like an enriched whole grain bread, like the best possible multigrains that you can, you know, conceive of, um, you know, things like quinoa, like the things that people think of as being like the healthiest whole grains, vegetables still just leave them in the dust when it comes to vitamin content and even mineral content. Vegetables have between 10 times for something like calcium, but, you know, maybe uh, only 20% more for something like uh, phosphorus um, or or zinc. Um, They tend to be pretty similar in terms of manganese content. Greens do have more selenium than, than vegetables on average. However, Seafood and uh, meat is very, very rich in selenium. So it's not like we're like, oh, no, I'm selenium deficient because I gave up grains. There's other places in the paleo diet that we get that nutrient. So that's all broken down um, in this uh, now couple couple year old um, post. But um, but it really goes through, you know, it's when you talk about a gluten free diet. So that's to me, that's a very different beast from paleo. A gluten-free diet is not necessarily a more nutrient-dense diet. If you look at gluten-free bread, um, it tends to have it, – it can vary. It, right? just, it varies by manufacturer. Some of it will have a little bit more nutrition. Some of it will have a little bit less. Some of it will have about the same. Um, it's not a swap like in the paleo movement where we swap – we're swapping it for – something that has way more nutrients per calorie and, by the way, just as much fiber. Um, so vegetables have just as much fiber for a fraction of the amount of sugar uh, of grains. Um, so there's 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 zero there's zero things missing. Um, so uh, so that post we can make sure there's a link in the show notes. It would be a great place to go and read some more details and um, 
spruce up that knowledge to engage in that conversation if that's something that Pam really wants to do while emphasizing that she should in no way oh I just used the should word <laughs> but I was gonna Needs say to in no please, way please do not feel in any way obligated to engage in that conversation um, I think it's really I think it's phenomenal when we have conversations with our doctors right so our doctors are like your blood work's amazing what are you doing right that's an educational opportunity that I would love people to take advantage of um, but then again if your doctor's like oh you know We'll have to watch your cholesterol, right? Like they, they can be very skeptical and then the, then it's the end of the conversation. Just continue to go in for your yearly physicals being completely healthy. And um, and doctors will often come around. Um, they're, off, they're often inspired by their patients to go and read more. Um, so I like taking that opportunity, but sort of beyond that or um, helping – um, empower other members of our family or really close friends into making healthier choices, which, by the way, doesn't necessarily need to fall under a paleo framework. It can be small steps towards that. It can be tangential. I think there's a lot of similarity between paleo and some other um, approaches that I think are also incredibly valid, like primal, like um, like a traditional foods diet. I think there's a lot of overlap, and they're they're worth reading more about and understanding the differences. But I think, you know, we're talking about approaches that are 90 to 95% similar. Um, but I, so I think that's sort of a different, different type of opportunity when you're talking about the people that you just care so much about, or you're talking about somebody who has the ability to help other people. But when it comes to, um, you know, the hairdresser, um, I don't, I don't think that we need to to be going around and being evangelical about paleo. I would say the colloquial term for that is whether or not someone's just trolling. And if someone is just trolling, it is only going to add stress to your life if you engage in discussions that are not going anywhere positive. I um, have these very vivid images associated with that phrase. And uh, it's probably not a good thing to be thinking about right before bed. Okay, let's move on to another question. This question is from Karen. My husband gives me a hard time about the way I've chosen to eat. Most couples do fight about money, but it has become difficult to justify to him the cost of my new healthy ways. Also, he is upset that we can't eat out where he wants anymore because there's not much I can eat at our old date night spots. Any advice on how to balance this or good ways to explain my new lifestyle? I've got two blog posts that I'm going to put links in the show notes for Karen. One is called The Paleo Poor House. Pretty sure that's what it's called. But you can always just Google Paleo Parents Poor House or look in the links in the show notes. Um, and there's another one called Your Non-Cooperative Spouse, which, Karen, I highly encourage you to have your husband read. That is an adults-only post. Um, one of the very few on our blog. So, Matt wrote this post um, after he had kind of come to the other side of paleo because when we started, he was not paleo. And um, we balanced how I could be on this thing that I was doing, um, kind of like Weight Watchers in the beginning. You know, I only did Weight Watchers, not the rest of the family. We kind of approached paleo that way in the beginning versus, you know, a family-friendly lifestyle. Um, and 
we we found ways to make that work together and ultimately he ended up deciding that it was best um for him to be a supportive spouse regardless of if he were doing it or not and communication was really important for me saying like hey it's really difficult for me to not eat x y or z when it's in the house you know could we be respectful of you know how difficult it is for me and just say that if you guys want to eat those foods that it's not around um and that you know is what ultimately kind of eased us into all of us going that route because the boys did so well when they were not eating things outside the home but um so specifically about eating out i know both sarah and i have some restaurant guides um we have information on the blog as well as in our book Relief Paleo about eating out. Um, I honestly find that these days there are very few places that I cannot find to eat out. Now, Karen, if you're strict autoimmune paleo, that's a different story because eating out is very difficult if you're in a very strict autoimmune paleo environment. But even then, you know, you could get a salad or steamed vegetables if you bring your own dressing in your purse or something like that, which I know you don't want those things when you're going on date night. But for me, when we go on date night, we can go practically anywhere and I can get a steak and a salad or I can get um, a bunless burger if it's more casual eating. Um, Even Italian restaurants will serve fish and chicken and um, all I have to say to the waiter is, you know, I'm, I have a food intolerance to, for me, it's corn, nightshades, gluten, um, and beans. I don't eat beans. And so I ask them, do you have anything that, you know, doesn't have those? And usually what they offer me is a protein and a vegetable, which is totally fine. But they're, honestly, I find that at least 50% of the time, the chefs, where I used to be really apologetic about it in the beginning and say, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm high maintenance. Um, now I just kind of, you know, ease into it really positively and say, hey, you know, I've got these problems, but I really appreciate your help if you could help me figure out something that I could eat on the menu. And they want you to be happy. They want you to have a good experience so that you can come back. I mean, there are horror stories, of course, about, you know, people intentionally doing things. But I have found that, you know, by far that I am encountered with, you know, usually you get better service. Sometimes the chef will even come out. Um, And, you know, whereas in the beginning that was all really uncomfortable for me and I didn't want the attention. Now I really appreciate that someone's being careful with the food and that, you know, they're trying to be helpful. And those are the places that I go back to. You know, those are the places that I think, hey, I didn't get sick there. That was really great. And one of the places that we really like going to is Maggiano's, which is my dad really likes going there. And I had told him like, dad, I can't eat at Maggiano's. Like it's all Italian. It's tomatoes and corn pasta, even if it's gluten-free. Like I cannot eat at Maggiano's. And um, for his birthday lunch, he wanted to go to Maggiano's. So we went there and the chef came out and they made a fantastic dish for me. And it was completely AIP except for butter that they used. And they used real butter. And I was like, whoa, who would have thought that I could eat at this place that even for me, like Sarah said, it's almost been six years. I thought I couldn't eat here. Like they, they made it work. So I really just think that it's about if you do want to eat out, I really think that it's possible almost anywhere. Um, I really feel that you are 
far better at addressing <laughs> eating out questions than I am. I have. I know the most bad. you've ever eaten out is when we went on book tour, right? Um, yeah, I pretty much only eat out when I'm traveling. Like that's um, and maybe um, maybe if somebody's in Atlanta to to entertain, but then I'll still invite them to my house and cook for them ninety five percent of the time. Um, in terms of you know, having that conversation, like I was paleo for about two months by myself in the household before I, in my zealousness, which I've already talked about, felt like I really, I really wanted my husband and kids to be paleo too. Like I just, I, I wanted them to be healthy. And, um, but there was, you know, for me, what brought me to paleo was illness and for them, I mean, even though we discovered both my kids had health issues that went away when they went gluten-free and uh, come back every time they eat gluten by accident. So um, even though it turns out that they're incredibly gluten-sensitive and my youngest is very casein-sensitive as well, that wasn't really on my radar. So I didn't feel like I was rushed to get them to paleo. So whereas I went cold turkey and just started on a day. Um, for my husband and kids, we kind of ate through the pantry and slowly started replacing, you know, first with gluten-free things and then with, um, with, uh, grain-free. And it was, it took about six months to get to, to full, full paleo. And for my husband, it was really just the important thing for him and his enthusiasm was to show him that food was still delicious. Like he really felt like, um, he looked at it from that deprivation perspective that I think a lot of people do, right? They see this list of no foods and they have this deer in headlights, like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to eat anything tasty ever again. And that's a totally normal reaction. And one of the reasons why I try to encourage people to frame paleo in terms of what we do eat rather than what we don't, because I think it's really important to approach, especially, you know, something that we're going to commit to as a lifestyle for the rest of our lives to approach it with positive language and a positive mindset, right? To focus on the delicious, nutrient-dense, health-promoting foods we eat. And then, uh, yeah, I didn't mention all of those other foods that I don't eat, right? Like it's it's just, right, okay, though we can have a conversation about that if you need to, but let's just focus on we're eating quality meats, vegetables, fruits, eggs, nuts, and seeds, seafood, right? Like, and just frame it that way. Um, but I found that for, for my husband, his enthusiasm really was slow um, and it was just like a slow burn. And basically it took him feeling really comfortable that, that there was still delicious food, still easy food. That was a really hard one for, for, for him to like, you know, what can I grab quickly? That took some, some, uh, some that problem was, solving. It's hard for us too, but I feel like these days there are so many paleo so products. So many more options. Yeah. yeah. Um, and amazing paleo products. But I I think that it's 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 good to have those conversations. I think it's okay if it takes a while. Um, but it is really important, you know, to support, you know, your life partner if they're trying to make changes to be healthy. I mean, that's just that's 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 part of the deal. Um, and so if you're not feeling supported, then there's a, a much deeper conversation that needs to happen. 
All right, so our next question is from Jackie. My social life always takes a huge hit in January and a few other months out of the year due to me following strict paleo off and on. Why do friends encourage cheating, give you a hard time, and not take your choice seriously? Just wondering how to best deal with others when I want to stick to strict paleo. This is such a good question, Jackie, and one that I have asked myself so many times. And the only thing I can think of is that either they're not thinking, like they're not realizing and they just think, hey, I want you to do this thing with me, just the same way that they would want you to go bowling with them, or that they feel like if you don't eat the cake and they eat the cake, then they feel badly, and so they feel better if you eat the cake. Th- these are the only scenarios that I can come yeah. up with. But in either instance, the solution that I have come up with, and granted, it took me like a while to feel comfortable saying this, I... And I've done this with my father and I've done this with coworkers is I look them in the eyes and I say, are you really encouraging me to do something that doesn't benefit my health? Like, and particularly with my father, I've had to say like, you know that I lost a hundred pounds. Like, please don't tell me that just this bite is okay because it's not. And like that totally snaps him. And he's like, okay, you're right. <laughs> like, just you live your life. I'm going to live my life. I mean, and sometimes I say to them, I totally enjoy your cake. Like, I don't need it. I'm happy with this cup of tea. You know, like when when particularly there's like a birthday in the office and everybody's handing out cake and I call them food pushers or like literally trying to push food in your yeah. hand, right? Like, take this, take this, you know, no, no, no. Why aren't you eating it? Just eat the frosting. You don't have to eat the cake. Like there's a million bajillion things that people will say and I try to just convey to them, like, I totally am content with just this thing that I'm doing. I'm happy to be here to celebrate. I don't need that cake. If I wanted that cake, I would have the cake, but I don't want the cake. So just you enjoy the cake. Please don't worry about me. Um, And I try to just make it like, it's okay. You be you and just try to be encouraging back at them versus I think in the beginning, I was really inclined to be like, why are you sabotaging me? Like, why are you, you know, like a little defensive and, and aggressive and angsty about it? Now I feel like I have better luck if I kind of turn that around and be like, I'm totally fine. You know, you don't have to, I'm not judging you is something I often tell people too. Like, I feel like they look at me. That's one of my phrases. Yeah. No, no judgment. And right. I think it's people feel like they have to rationalize their choices to me. And I'm like, I'm not you. First of all, I'm I'm like, I'm not your mother. I know it says paleo mom, but I'm not actually your mom. <laughs> and, um, but even if I was your mom, it still wouldn't be my business because you're an adult. So, um, like, it's just, it's like, I, there's no judgment. No, um, no judgment. I, <laughs> no, I mean, I just, to me, and I, I, th- I really do mean that. Like, it's, I'm doing this for me and I am putting out educational material for other people who are looking for it. It is not my business what somebody else chooses to eat. And um and I I am acutely aware of that. And part of that is because I, you know, I come from a history of obesity, binge eating disorder, uh every bad eating habit that's out there. So I would eat I was stressed. I would eat when I was bored. I would eat socially. I would eat because I was lonely. Like I would eat to keep myself awake at night. Like just all the eating, all the, all the 
all the bad eating habits. And, um, and I felt judged, right? I felt judged all the time. I felt like I wore my inability to exert portion control, um, and my inability to, um, abstain when I was having a food craving. I felt like I wore that, you know, visually on my body with my weight. And it, and it felt like I was walking around being judged. And I don't think that that's, I don't think that helps people make better decisions. Um, if anything, I think it propels the um, sort of mental health aspect of uh, poor diet choices. And so for me, and also like this is often not even just, you know, somebody who's struggling to get off of junk food. This is, you know, somebody who's paleo and has a piece of cake at a birthday party once in a while because they don't have an overt gluten sensitivity and it doesn't hurt them or they're paleo, but they also eat rice. Like it's, it's all shades of it and it's not my business. And, um, what I hope is that people will find something that works for them. And I hope that the resources that I create will help them do that. And then within that, we are human beings and that's okay. And I am not here to judge. And so, um, so I, I love your idea of sort of, right. I, I think there's actually science that shows, you know, we're such social eaters, um, which is fine. That's just, that's ingrained, but there's actually science that shows that, um, if you're obese, you have a higher percentage of obese friends than the general population in your area. So, um, it's, you know, it's like the colloquially like fat girls hang out together, which I just drives me crazy. I, I, they use that in like science, uh, articles when they're talking about this type of research. Um, and it's, I think in part because, you know, food is addictive and we enjoy sharing that, um, that, experience of giving into cravings and giving into addiction with friends. And I think that can make it really hard for people who are in that process of trying to change um, and trying to, to change what they're eating, change their lifestyle choices and get healthier because, um, because it can feel to friends like, we're abandoning them. We're leaving them. We're, uh, you know, we're not partaking in this important social bonding experience. Um, we're judging them. And I think that, you know, I, I like Stacy's idea of sort of reassuring them that we're fine. We can still hang out. I'm, I, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and no judgment. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I've heard people really callously say, like, if you want to get thin, you have to ditch your fat friends. And I think that's BS. Um, I think that there's ways to uh, find health that embrace both our past and our future. I would say that um, that idea of removing or reducing the people in your life who are negative influences mm -hmm. is a better way to phrase what I think people are getting at, which is that if you have someone in your life who is enabler to behaviors that are not healthy, 
then that person can cause you to backslide because they're going to encourage you to eat cake. And I will say very openly that Matt and I were absolutely one another's enablers. And sometimes we even find ourselves falling back into that habit. Like we'll offer the other, like this idea to make it, you know, like pleasurable for the other, like, don't you want to get ice cream? (laughs) No, um, we don't want to get ice cream. We're going to have like brewed cocoa right now. And we're going to be really happy to not leave the house and not need to eat this food that neither of us needs and not don't really want either. It's just this idea. So, you know, I feel like I hope, I really hope that the intent of what people mean when they say those things is not necessarily just to, you know, not surround yourself with people who are overweight, but rather, you know, it is important to think about the people who have influence over your life and how they're influencing your life. And that's something, honestly, that's helped me heal is to figure out, you know, how, what kind of relationships do I have with certain people in my life? And if they're toxic. Have you had enabler friends that you no longer hang out with? Like people who you used to, you know, eat with and have treats with and whatever? I I definitely transitioned to a different place in my life when I went paleo. And I think some of that is just people thinking I was a bit crazy. Um, Well, I I, mean, truth. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But in such a wonderful way. Um, (laughs) I remember thinking about a year or two into paleo that... I had really discovered who my real friends were, that there were people who after my, you know, weight loss transformation, there were people who would say things to me like, you're just as beautiful, but I love how healthy and vibrant you are. And those are the people that I found myself really connected to and staying friends with long term versus like people in my life who would come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden like wanted to hang out. And I would be like, what, what, what? No, you need to go away. And then there would be some people who were in my life who were suddenly off put by, you know, how often I was talking about being healthy or, you know, whatever, whatever. And those are the people I was like, okay, well, I don't know what we have in common anymore. And I don't think that it's healthy for us to continue to just be frustrated whenever we try to communicate. So those are the relationships that I think, you know, I ended up having to take a look at overall. And then there wasn't like I created a list and I sat down and sent letters to people and were like, let's break up. It was more kind of naturally, oh, this isn't like working anymore. You didn't have like a burning ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Recently anyways. Um, All right. Let's, I know we're running late, but let's do one more question because I think we've kind of touched on this, but I really want to like specifically answer it. I love that you say that we're running late as though there's some timeline for this show. It's true. I mean, late for who? Um, Late for our publishers called while I've been recording and he wants me to call him back. Um, uh, It would not be the first time you said, hey, I was recording. (laughs) I I mean, I I text him like, I'll call you when I'm done. But then I know that I have to have that phone call and still get to bed at a good time. Um, So this is me saying last question. Sue says, confession, now that I've been following paleo for a little while, I find myself judging other people's carts at the grocery store. 
same thing happens when I'm out with a group of people to eat. I find myself making noises or rolling my eyes when people order food that is bad for them. This is a bad habit. I need help. So first of all, congratulations for realizing that this is a bad habit. (laughs) It's very off-putting to those around you and will not encourage them to join your bandwagon. So I do think that this is fantastic that you're recognizing that this is happening. And likely by the time we've answered your question, you've probably already solved this problem. That's true. Um, (laughs) But for those of you where the struggle is still real right now, we will discuss this topic. Um, So... I think we're all there. I mean, Sarah, when when we kind of give our introductory talks, one of the things that you say is that you went through this phase and we're super zealot and we're really pushy on people. Definitely. Yeah. And that you kind of, you know, ultimately came to this place where you realized that the best thing that you could do is create content for people who were interested in it versus those people who are not right. and um, and help those people. And I think that's really, we all kind of have to find that place for ourselves where I have to except that there are people in my life who are just totally uninterested in changing their food habits that, you know, they have not had the life experiences that I have had. They have not had, um, any sort of interest in, you know, dietary, dramatic dietary changes, because let's be honest, like as much as, you know, paleo is normal for, for me now at this point, it is quite a dramatic change, both from, you know, how you live your life to, the social interactions to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so where people are not interested in that, it's important to keep the mindset of no judgment. And while we especially might think to ourselves, I would never consume that, or wow, I am for the first time in my life realizing how much our population is consuming foods that are contributing to negative health. These are the kind of things that, you know, if you can reframe your brain to think those instead of, I can't believe the junk that person is eating. um, It has helped me to pull back kind of being judging. And I am incredibly judging by nature. Like when you take the ENTJ tests, I forget, Myers-Briggs, my judging is like all the way on the end of the spectrum. It's like, there's like, it's so far gone. They're like, lady, you got problems, right? Like so you're, you're saying you're judging McJudge a lot. Totally judging McJudgerton. Um, and so what has helped me to not particularly judge individuals is to kind of reframe it. Like, can you hear my cat? I was wondering if that was your cat or my cat. That's oh, totally my so, cat, and he's upstairs. That's how far away that that's, is. That's the sound that my cats make when they're killing a cat toy. No, nope, that's just... Carry, carrying it around to show me their 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 newest dead yarn ball. He's, he's lonely and frustrated because he walked across the desk and I didn't pet him, and now he's just pacing the house crying. Sorry. Um, so... What I, right. So what I have found being that I'm an extremely judgy person naturally is that if I can reframe the way that I see something, and this is also really important for me for media, because if I say something and it's interpreted one way that I totally didn't intend it, right? So oftentimes I, I have learned to reframe by simply reading back what I've said and thinking like, how would somebody else interpret this. So that has helped me to reframe. But while you're sitting at dinner with your friends, it's not going to be productive to 
eye roll and um, tell them that the food that they're ordering is bad for them. I have found, honestly, that the the best thing is just by being a good influence. Like people saw me and what the choices that I've made. And sometimes they feel defensive and guilty and say, why do you always order a salad? Like, why don't you know the the uh, fried chicken's gluten-free? You could order that. I'm like, yeah, I could order that, but it's not the choice that I'm making today. You know, um, there's also an opportunity where they see you making good choices and they see your health improving or whatever kind of, you know, improvements are happening in your life, how you feel, um, all that kind of stuff. And then they look at you differently and they might be more interested in hearing what you're doing or watching what you're doing and replicating it. And those are the things that I try to focus on is that, you know, if, if I'm negative and I put that upon people, then that's what they're going to get from me. And it's probably going to be reflected back in their actions towards me. Um, and so it's just the best. Potentially they're right. Like if you put that bad taste in somebody's mouth, pardon the pun. Right. Um, you know, it's going to be not welcoming for the entire. They you know, associate movement, that right? like, with paleo. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So I think you know the the one the one thing that, that you know there are sometimes where people are doing things you know, and this is mostly usually really close friends or family, where let's say for example someone's taking a statin, and I feel really passionately like this is something that I really wish that they weren't doing, or in my case like the consumption of aspartame. Like I don't wait until they're ordering it and then say this is bad for you. I wait until we're in like a separate kind of environment where the food isn't involved, the emotion is removed from it. And I say, you know, I'm really worried that I love you so much and I'm worried that you are going to have problems associated with this thing that you're doing. And here's what I've heard and here's what I've read about some of the detrimental health effects that this thing that you're doing can cause like can we talk about this and see if there are alternatives that might work for you because I I care about you and I'm worried and that approach will go 10 times farther than saying to someone in the moment of them ordering it like that's terrible for you and it's going to kill you I I'm not sure I've ever actually used this analogy on the podcast before but I know that I've used it at almost every single q and a i've ever done because there's almost always a question along these lines of like i have some person i want them to change their diet and they won't right like and you know i i was a person who made changes health changes in my life when i hit my own low right my own crisis point my own now i'm motivated to do this and i liken it to a smoker, right? So people who smoke don't think that those cigarettes are going to make them healthier. Like there's warnings all over the packages. There's all this, like they they know, they know all of the health detriments of being a smoker and quitting smoking is incredibly difficult. And um, somebody can't be successful in quitting smoking unless they have that drive and motivation from within to do it. Um, having support, having, you know, the various different, you know, gadgets and, and aids for, for quitting smoking is all really, really helpful. But at the end of the day, it requires that person to be ready to quit. And food is addictive. Food hits the exact same chemical changes in our brain that cigarettes and alcohol and um, and street drugs do. And so 
we can't expect somebody to give up, you know, to quit an addiction with food until they're ready. And when they are ready, we can support them. We can help them find good resources. We can help them find the gadgets and aids that are available within the paleo community, like great nutrient dense portable snack foods. Um, but it's it's still something that has to like it's you can't impose your will on somebody else. You can help educate them. You can support them. You can provide them with resources. You can provide them with practical help. Um, you can love them and you can tell them that you would love them to change, but they still need to they still need to make the choice. Um, and so when it comes with food uh, and, you know, being a role model with our own choices for the people around us, it's just a question of waiting right? Waiting for when they are then ready to make the choice and then you can be a support. And so being able to find a mindset that is non-judgmental and is encouraging and supportive and positive and excited and enthusiastic, those are all things that are going to help somebody want to use you as a resource when they are ready. Um, and that's that's why this movement is continuing to grow is because, I mean, first of all, when people try paleo, the um, the percentage that stick to it and dedicate their lives to it is really, really high compared to other dietary strategies. But also because we are a community, it's a very grassroots type movement for a community that supports each other. And so I think that all of us as, as individuals um, can keep that in our minds as that's the secret. That's that's the secret to to growing the paleo movement is each of us being role models for the people in our lives um, and being in the wings, ready to be supportive and encouraging when the time comes, but we can't, we can't push that clock. Yeah. Truth. I know that I was introduced to the idea of pretzels and diet Coke as being wasted calories was the word someone used years before I went paleo and I remember totally rolling my eyes scoffing and talking with my friends about how annoying and wrong this person was because what better food is there than pretzels because they're only like 40 calories and they fill you up <laughs> you know so I mean we I wasn't ready to hear that and there are a lot of people that just aren't ready to hear it and so it's just not a productive use and I will reiterate that all of these kinds of things brought stress on my life and they caused me to have worse health because of it. So I really genuinely believe in this idea of like creating your own mental thoughts and really telling yourself like, you know, I want to frame things positively. I want to encourage others. I don't need to engage in this kind of stuff. Even though my brain is telling me all the time, like, judge, 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 that person is eating total junk food. Like, instead, I'm like, I am not judging. That is their life. It is not affecting me. And they can make their choices. And I'm going to make my choices. And we're all going to be okay. The world is not going to end. And that has helped me so much. So I hope this idea of keeping your eyes on your own plate, as I think Sarah titled. Um, this is is really helpful, not just for, you know, keeping your eyes on your own plate, but also helping to frame the discussion for, you know, encouraging others to do the same in a positive sort of way. So I think that's a show. Um, 
hope to see all you Austin, Houston, or driving distance from those Texan cities people this weekend. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I need you to eat. You should just end end the sentence right there. Just, <laughs> I need you, period. <laughs> to eat a brown butter blondie for me when you're in Austin and then send me the feels. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so I'm assuming this is going to end up in the bloopers, so I'll just, like, stay for the record because I want everyone to hear it that I would never go to Austin and not go to Picnic. <laughs> like, those <laughs> yes. those brown butter blondies and, the, like, the smoothies and drinks and coffees that she makes where she adds all the delicious nutrients and, like, things to them are, like, I follow Picnic on Instagram and if there was like a thing like a star trek beaming device i would probably most often use it just to go to picnic oh, picnic slash getting your food during a blizzard <laughs> there you go yes. all right i'll get inventing seeking the truth never gets old introducing june's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join june parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.